So, Father, we come to you asking for grace, asking for mercy, that you would uh, help us to understand your word, that you would change our lives, that as uh, oftentimes we are prone to wonder as the song goes, oftentimes our hearts uh, are hard and not receptive to your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would break through and that you would use your word to do your work, knowing that it will not return void and it will accomplish the purposes by which you use it. And so we just ask that you would do so in our lives. Conform us to Christ. Help us to become more like your son, Jesus, Father. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, One of the the teens came up to me uh, in the 8 o'clock service, and we have a lot of teens in the 8 o'clock service, and I was very surprised. I was like, wow! had to stand up for uh, one thing, uh, and I was surprised how many were there. And anyways, they came up to me and uh, was just talking about how audacious of, they didn't use that word, how audacious of a, a claim that I was making here with my title, Becoming a Churchwide Youth Ministry. Someone thinking that I was getting ready to set up a gaga pit here in the middle of the auditorium. Some of you would be like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and some of you have no clue what a gaga pit is. <laughs> It's a game, all right? Uh, So my objective here this morning is not to um, make everything in the church uh, a game or an activity, uh, though there is a purpose behind games and activities in youth ministry. I have a theology of games. And you might be thinking, you can make up a theology of whatever you want. I know, but I did. And so we have, we have a purpose by, for doing those kinds of things, those kinds of activities. I just don't do them, but it has a purpose behind them. <clears throat> but anyway, so I want to just share how we can become a church-wide youth ministry. But before that, I just want to have just a little bit of interaction here with us this morning. <clears throat> Please tell me what holiday... We are celebrating this Wednesday. <laughs> Man, I didn't get Halloween. All right. All the other services, they said Halloween. <clears throat> well, that's not the case right there. It's not Halloween. But I will take the candy. All right. But yes, yes, for those of you who said it, Reformation Day. And for those of you who might not know what Reformation Day is, it's the day we celebrate the Reformation. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Reformation Day is that day when we celebrate. It's not necessarily arbitrary, the day, but in October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther took his 95 theses and nailed it to the Wittenberg church door. And at that point, there was something moving 
during that era and during that time. And by God's providence, all the pieces came together for something tremendous to happen. The church, the people, got the gospel back. It was that day we celebrate the fact that no longer do we, do we hold to this idea that justification, God declaring one righteous, because they are actually righteous. No, no. The Bible would teach that we are justified, declare righteous by God based solely on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and His resurrection through simply faith. And faith, listen, keyword, alone. Not by what we do. And we are not made righteous by God and then declared just or righteous. But no, we are declared righteous based on Christ's work by faith. And we receive a righteousness that is not our own. It is Christ's righteousness applied to our count by what we've done? No! By what He did. The only thing we had to do is put our trust in our Lord and what He accomplished for us. That is what we celebrate on Wednesday. Not Halloween, okay? Not Halloween. And so I thought, in light of the fact that this Sunday would be Reformation Sunday, since it's the Sunday before the 31st, I thought I would just give a few illustrations of the Reformers, whether you like them or not, a few illustrations of the Reformers who had and understood that if the church wanted to succeed... It had to focus or have a focus on young people. Martin Luther, who was instrumental in starting the Reformation, as I've already said, when he nailed his 95 Theses to the Wittenberg church doors, said this about the youth. Quote, If ever the church is to flourish again, one must begin by instructing the young. End quote. He then developed a small catechism for the training of young people. That's a pretty, pretty bold statement there. And what I'm, what I'm wanting to do with this, this message, is that I'm not wanting that our church becomes some sort of youth ministry, kind of like what we do maybe from 7 to 8.15 on Wednesday. But what I want us to see is a church culture that is developed a church-wide youth ministry where that we realize that our focus is not just on me, 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 but on others. Those others would include our youth. That we would develop such a culture that I believe that's based in Scripture, as we'll see in 1 Timothy 3 and 4, develop this culture where our, our youth grow out of it with the heart and love for Jesus Christ. Now I realize that it's only the Holy Spirit's work in the life of our children, our teens, youth, uh, that any spiritual vitality is going to prosper. But God uses means 
And we can be those means by which he uses to cultivate that in the life of our youth. Another reformer, John Calvin, he also recognized the importance of training youth for godliness and started religious schools so that the young people would know and understand God's word. You know some of the things that he was teaching them in that school? He was teaching them French. He was teaching them Latin. And he was teaching them Greek. I would literally fail that school. (laughs) So uh, next week we're going to start a Greek class for our teens, just to let you know. No, we're not doing that. I've thought about it. The importance of God's word in the life of the, uh, during the Reformation, this accurate and biblical emphasis on the importance of God's word in the Christian's life, they understood that they needed to have a focus on young people. They knew it. A few hundred years later, another gentleman by the name of Jonathan Edwards, maybe you've heard of his name before, probably due to one of his sermons, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, It was one of key sermons to start the First Great Awakening. Remember that? It's probably about around 1730 to 1740 is when that kind of all occurred. Do you know how that got started? Or one of the things that got that First Great Awakening started? Youth. Uh, In in the town, I believe Northampton is where he uh, was a shepherd there, a pastor. Uh, Jonathan Edwards saw the young people kind of frolicking about. Uh, During that time, uh, younger people were getting married late. Uh, Some of the men were getting uh, married late, uh, around 28, 29 years of age. Some of the girls a little bit earlier than that, but uh, 25, 26 years of age or so. Sounds kind of similar today. And, and, and property was scarce back then, so they weren't able to buy property in order to start their own businesses and farms and whatnot. And so they, they stayed with their families and were helping out on the family farm. Well, on Thursdays, they would go out, as Jonathan Edwards called it, frolicking, whatever that may, means. And they would do things that they weren't supposed to be doing. And so what he decided to do is get a youth group started, quote-unquote, <clears throat> Basically, he got a small group of youth together, and that was ages um, in their teens all the way up into the 20s. They got together to study God's Word together, and through his preaching, God used the Word of God to change these kids' lives. And so the youth started uh, developing their own Bible studies together, and they would meet together for spiritual edification. Well, the adults saw this going on in the lives of the teens, and then they started small groups of their own. And then the men started leading their family in spiritual exercises, and and they started leading the churches. And from all this, the first great awakening started, and it had its inclination, its, its little start with youth. Teens, you can have an impact on your church. And church, you can have an impact on our teens. Would God have Fellowship Bible Church have such an impact on our community? There's a story, um, and I can't remember the two cities, but it was said that uh, you could lay gold from this particular city to the next city, and no one would pick it up because it wasn't theirs. They wouldn't steal it. What a tremendous uh, activities that the Holy Spirit was doing during that time. And may he do something like that in our 
country in our era. Well, number one, here we go. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Becoming a church-wide youth ministry. Becoming a church-wide youth ministry means recognizing that the church is a family. That the church is a family. Verses 14 through 16, the Apostle Paul says to young Timothy, and they really didn't mean young, at least in, back then, uh, he was probably, some scholars say he was probably about 30 to 35 years old. You were old when you reached the age of 40. So I am still in the young category. 37. All right. <clears throat> so anyways, Paul says this to Timothy. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to, ha- how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the spirit, vindicate, uh, manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Again, becoming a church-wide youth ministry means recognizing that the church is a family. Maybe you've had this experience before. Uh, and uh, we, you know, we hope it doesn't happen here, but I don't exclude us from this, uh, this thought. Have you seen this? A person comes into a church building thinking that the church has a, a product to sell. Kind of this consumer mentality that's so prevalent in our nation, right? This product to sell. The product being spirituality. And the consumer, they come to partake. Well, once the product has been delivered in the form of rituals, singing, prayers, uh, the opening of God's word and teaching, they pay their dues and they leave satisfied customers, having received the product of spirituality or this feeling, making sure to carefully maneuver their way through the other consumers around them. Why? Because it's not about those other people. It's about them. This individualistic consumer mentality oftentimes plagues the church. But the Word of God does not describe the church in that way. It describes the church as a family. Describes it as a family. And I think even in here, Paul uses that phrase so that you might know or one might know how to act in the household of God. Now, Paul's not talking about the brick and mortar of the building that we assemble together in, just like we wouldn't say that our house is the family. Just imagine if uh, if you treated your family the same way some Christians treat the church. You treat your family as a product by which you consume. And it is all about you. You know, oftentimes we see that in our kids. When it's all about them, mommy and daddy come come down hard on them. All right? They're disobedient, all these kinds of things, because it's all about them. 
In the husband and wife relationship, we have conflict, difficulty. Sometimes, why? Because sometimes it's all about them. And we see the breakdown of the family because it becomes self-focused, individualistic, as opposed to how it should function as others-focused. Serving one another, loving one another, being kind to one another, forgiving one another. Not saying this is easy, but this is how it should be, right? And and it's when the family functions that way is when we have uh, cohesion together, joy, happiness, even through difficult times. And in the same way, the church is a family. That that the person to your right and and the person to your left, if they have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, believing that He died for them, rose again from the dead, they are believers in Jesus Christ. And they are your brothers and sisters. Well, maybe not by blood, but we could make a case it's by blood, could we not? And I'm going to. It is only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you and I are placed in the family of the living God. And so in some real sense, we are blood brothers and sisters. By Christ's blood. That person beside you, they are truly your brothers. They are truly your sisters. And we need to treat this church as a family and not as a product to consume. So, when we come together, it's not about me. It's not about what I can get. It's about what I can give. Right? We know this, right? It's about what I can give, even now, presently. Now, Paul, I don't think, is necessarily talking about the church service. What I think he's referring to here is about how we are to conduct ourselves as Christians. So one here, in verses 14 to 15, he's asking, we are to act like the family. So for those of you who are filling in those lines, if you want to, we are a, we are to act like the family. And then he later on in this chapter, really the whole book, he describes what it looks like to act like the family of the living God. So there'll be sometimes, sometimes I'm just being goofy with my kids, um, but they'll do something that's wrong or, or just goofy or something like that. And I will look at them and say, I always point with all my fingers because you never want to point back at yourself. So <laughs> it's a politician right there. Um, I say, Henson's don't do that. Right? Have you ever caught yourself doing that before? Yeah. You don't say Henson's, but Henson's don't do that. Right? Because in our family, we don't do that. In the same way with the living God, in, in the household of the living God, Christians don't do that. We are to act like the family. Number two, under this, we are to be about the family's business. We are to be about the family's business. And you might ask, what is the family's business? Here we go, verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And in this beautiful, poetic, maybe a hymn, uh, a confession from the first century, this is interesting here, 
says this, He was manifested in the flesh. Who? What is this referring to? This would be Jesus. Our God came down, put on flesh. For what purpose? To be a ransom for many. To give His life on the cross, taking our sin, our punishment on Him, rising again from the dead. He did this for us. Vindicated by the Spirit. What is this referring to? This is referring to His resurrection. That Jesus, when He rose from the dead, through or by the Spirit, was vindicated or justified. What does that mean? It means this, that what He said during His life about Himself was true. And what He accomplished on the cross was, is now effective for you and I. And He's been justified through the, uh, being raised from the dead. He is who He said He was. And he did exactly what he said he was going to do for me. Seen by angels. What is that? His ascension. He is now seating, sitting, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. At this point, has given all has been given all authority over to him in heaven and on earth. And then we go on, and it's the description of what happened with this message proclaimed among the nations. Now, this free message of the gospel, this free grace that is extended to us, is now proclaimed to all nations. Black, white, poor, rich, different nationalities, different religions. This gospel is being proclaimed to every single person, being proclaimed to the world. doesn't matter who it is. And then we see the effects of this proclaimed message to the world. Believed on in the world. All kinds of people are believing this. It doesn't matter who they are. All are believing these things. This, this message. And lastly here, we kind of revert back to His ascension. Taken up into glory. Maybe to remind us of Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, where Jesus said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, making sure to teach them uh, to obey all that I've commanded. And lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. Reminding us that our mission, our business is going to be very successful. So what is our business? It's the gospel. The gospel is the family business. So you might ask yourself, okay, Pastor Mark, uh, what does this have anything to do with about a church-wide youth ministry? Because our youth need to see our church, one, acting like the church, the household, the family of the living God, recognizing that we are indeed a family and not a business. And that you and I, we're about the family business of proclaiming the gospel, making it known. Our youth need to, our youth need to see this and we need to encourage them to do this. They need to be sharing the gospel and we need to be sharing the gospel as a family. 
Number two, becoming a church-wide youth ministry means combating false teaching and false practice. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 5 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So what we have here is we have some false teachers who are coming into the church. So Timothy right now uh, is in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, and he's trying to help this church out. There's some false teaching that's coming in, and one of the purposes of this letter is to encourage Timothy to root this false teaching and false practice out of the church. And this is a church-wide thing. And the church needs to be... um, The church needs to combat false teaching. That means that we need to be interested in right teaching and right practice. We need to be interested. We need to want correct doctrine, correct practice. And our youth need to see this from us. They need to see that we have this heart. Anyway, some, some, th- some ways we do it in our, in our youth ministry, the church-wide thing, but in our youth ministry specifically, we have an apologetics uh, um, small group that we have though it needs to develop more. Uh, but we have it nonetheless. Apologetic small group where we have a group of teens that get together. And at least this year, we have three topics. One that they get to choose from. This year, we're focusing on a false religion that would be Islam. Uh, one of their errant teachings about uh, Jesus. Uh, two would be Jehovah's Witnesses. And one of uh, we have to defend against one of their errant views about the Holy Spirit. And three would be um, Roman Catholicism and their errant view on justification. All right, and uh, we have. You know, this sounds kind of complicated, but uh, kids will get together and we'll work on some of these things. They'll study and they'll develop a apologetic presentation. They'll present it at the end of that. Then a panel of three uh, evaluators will uh, play devil's advocate, and ask some questions. They have to defend it. It's a lot of fun being the one questioning. I enjoy that a lot. Um, but I think it's an excellent way to try to encourage our kids to think. Think about God's Word. Think about doctrine, teaching, all those things. Um, We also, yeah, even in in our teaching ministry, we try to have a little bit of an apologetic bent to it and hopefully get our kids to think about certain uh, issues. We need to be a kind of church that's interested in those things, encouraging our teens in that way, our youth. Number three, becoming a church-wide youth ministry means making godliness a priority. Making godliness a priority. Verses 6 to 10 says this, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. 
as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is a trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So becoming a church-wide youth ministry means making godliness a priority. One of the, one of the phrases here in verse 8 oftentimes is used, the word training, I believe, uh, is that word we, that we get our word gymnastics from. So it has the idea of effort, training, uh, maybe athletics. And maybe Paul has this in mind when he's writing this, set, uh, this section here about athletics. It might also be about asceticism as well. But oftentimes, he says, you know, bodily training, you know, maybe the health of your body, those kinds of things. Those are important. Those are good. Those are good. But what's more important? What should we be all about? Godliness. Why? Because it has value in this life and the life to come. My 32-inch waist that we all want, right? Maybe ladies want a little bit smaller than that. <clears throat> I don't have a 32-inch waist, but uh, it's not going to help me much in eternity. All right. I think we're all going to be thin in the journey, right? Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Um, but we kind of have maybe a little bit of an issue, even in our culture, of the idolatry of sports and health in our culture these days. Do we not? I mean, I have my children in, in sports, um, so I'm not downing sports at all. Uh, sports has taught me so much about my life, about how to walk the Christian walk, and so I think they're wonderful. But I think that we need to be cautious about our sports and our children. If we're running our children all over the place, and we find it hard to come to church once in six months because we're on this traveling team here, that traveling team there, we're at this sports event there, and blah, 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 all these things... We might want to reconsider and think maybe our priorities are askew. They are askew. We need to stop that. We need to be careful with that. And and we need to be a church that is not focused on how athletic a person is uh, whether they have a, an extraordinary three-throw three percentage or they can run this amount in this time or this, that, and the other, they can score this many goals, we should be less concerned about those things and more concerned about this. You know, I just want to thank you so much because I've been observing you, young man, young woman, And I just want to let you know, I am so impressed with how God has worked in your life and you are progressing in your faith. That's what I want to commend you for. Should we not, family of the living God, be more concerned about that? So it should be said in my my own life that I should not care whether my girls and my boy have ten left feet. But if they love Jesus... And want to make him known. Praise God. Praise God. We should have more of a priority on godliness than we do athletics. 
And that's not to diminish that athletics, sports, those things are good. Number four. Becoming a church-wide youth ministry means being an example to follow. 11 and 12. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. This is the quintessential uh, youth passage, right? So if you're ever going to address the youth, this is kind of where you go. And so uh, I want to address us all here with this. That becoming a church-wide youth ministry means being an example to follow. See, no, you might not be in the youth ministry on Wednesday night from 7 to 8.15 or in a Sunday school class with some of our teens specifically or the quiz team ministry, whatever. But you are in youth ministry. You are in youth ministry. Why? Because you are part of the family of God and our youth, our teens, they observe you. And so you and I need to become an example for them. You and I need to become an example for them in these kinds of things. In our speech. Oh, Pastor Van had a really convicting message about that, did he not? In our speech, in our conduct, in our love for our other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, in our faith, trusting in the Lord that he's going to be true to his promises. so on and so forth, that we need to develop a culture within Fellowship Bible Church or continue to develop a culture in Fellowship Bible Church that we all consider that we are responsible to some extent to be an example to all people and our youth specifically as we're dealing with youth in this message. Um, Number five, becoming a church-wide youth ministry means devoting yourself to the Word of God. Verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So some of the ways we try to, we try to do this in our, our youth ministry presently, so we have a quiz team ministry. Uh, I, I think it's a wonderful ministry. Um, so what, they're, what they do is that they memorize books of the Bible. You've heard me probably talk about this before. They memorize books of the Bible. The book of the Bible they're memorizing Um, this year is Hebrews. So they're memorizing about the whole book of Hebrews, word for word, and they do quizzing on it. I've had teens come up to me. I've had parents come up to me and said the thing that has drastically impacted their spiritual life has been the quiz team ministry. Some have said it's changed my life. They've they've developed a a greater hunger for God's word. Now, of course, not everybody that does it, that, that happens to them, but some it has. Why? Because God's word is powerful. It has an impact on their life. We want to be devoted to his word. The importance of his word in our life. It is the change agent in our life. His word. And you and I as individuals and the family members of God, we need to be devoted to his word. And we have a preaching small group. We had about eight uh, boys that uh, were part of a preaching small group next year which is going to start up Sunday, November the 18th, for those boys interested. Uh, start at 6 o'clock. Okay, just another thing. <clears throat> a preaching small group that they meet once a month. They meet with Jim Shupe, and he teaches them how to preach. He teaches them how to um, study God's Word in the limited time they have. 
and how to put together a homiletical outline, a sermon outline. And then he tries to help him to preach it. If I could, I would command all of our boys and make all of our boys do that. Tempted to. All of our boys in here, you should do that if you're able to. No. Do it. Every Christian should be able to take a passage of Scripture, study it, and then share it. Teach it. And this just be a good opportunity. So anyways, uh, we also have teaching opportunities for our teens. We go on mission trips or ministry trips, and we try to get them to be the teachers that are VBS. Kind of like this August when we went down to Beckley, we had the, the teens, they were teaching the, the VBS. Um, and also opportunities in Sunday school, we try to encourage that. I'll have a little bit there. As I, as I shared a couple illustrations of some Reformation people, I wanted to share one more with you. Maybe you're not as familiar with this person. Her name is Lady Jane Grey. Uh, she is, uh, she's famous for being the nine-day queen of England. Um, after her cousin died, King Edward VI, uh, she was used as a pawn to, to place her on the throne, mainly because she was a Protestant. Okay? She was a Protestant, and they didn't want Mary Tudor, who we know as Bloody Mary, to come onto the throne because Mary Tudor was a Catholic. And they didn't want, um, they didn't want the, the religion changing in the country. And so they used Lady Jane Grey and put her on the throne. Well, Mary Tudor comes in to get her rightful, uh, to be the rightful heir of the throne, which she was. And she came in. And Lady Jane Grey was thrown into prison and was sentenced to to, uh, be beheaded for treason. Now, Lady Jane Grey is 16 years old during this time. I think it's 1554 or 53, 1553. I can't remember. One of those. And she was thrown into prison. She was getting ready to be beheaded. But she had an opportunity to be freed if she would just recant her faith and accept the Roman Catholic faith. Remember, she's 16 years old. This is big stuff. One successful Catholic apologist, or in other words, a defender of the Catholic faith, was tasked with the responsibility to convert Lady Jane. He was able to secure three additional days to Lady Jane's sentence before the axe came down. He actually set up an official debate between himself and um, uh, Lady Jane, who was, again, like I said, 16 years old at the time. Now, the debate went on between Dr. Feckenham, if I pronounce that correctly, and, it, and Lady Jane, and it was before a, a council of men who were there. So can you imagine? 16-year-old girl knows that she's getting ready to be beheaded, and now she has to stand before these men and debate them about the Christian faith. I could barely do that now. As described by a biographer, Faith Cook, she said this, quote, Feckenham made a few further attempts to undermine his young defendant. Now, this was during the debate. But each time Jane had the final word and was able to declare with as much clarity as any theologian several times her age, Lady Jane said this, quote, I ground my faith upon God's word and not upon the church. 
For if the church be a good church, the faith of the church must be tried by God's word and not God's word by the church, nor yet by my faith, end quote. Wow, 16-year-old girl, are you kidding me? Should we hold our teens to a higher standard? Yes, I think we should. We need to teach, mom and dad, we need to teach our young men and women doctrine. We need to teach them theology. We need to teach them these things the best that we can. I understand this was a different circumstance and she was being trained to be a queen. There was different education uh, standards and things like that during the time. But I think we should push and encourage. Well, the debate ended And at Feckenham's dismay, Lady Jane did not recant her faith, even though freedom would have been secured uh, for if she did. Faith Cook goes on to describe their departing words to one another. She says this, quote, Yet even at so grievous a moment, Jane did not surrender her sense of spiritual values. For when Feckenham took his leave that day, complaining of her obstinacy and saying that they must part in this world, but would never meet in the next. Lady Jane replied thus. True, it is that we shall never meet except God turn your heart. (laughs) For I am assured, unless you repent... And turn to God, you are in an evil case. And I pray God to send you his Holy Spirit, for he hath given you his great gift of utterance, meaning he could speak well, if it please him also to open the eyes of your heart. End quote. Very impressive. And I think of our youth can do the same thing. Oh, would it be true that Fellowship Bible Church would be used to develop a culture of youth ministry, recognizing that we're a family and we should be concerned about each other, develop such a culture that our youth, when they grow up out of here, that they could stay, if by chance they they come to a situation like this, they could stand firmly on God's word and say, No, I trust in God and God alone and in what his word has said. Number six, becoming a church-wide youth ministry, last one, means using your spiritual gifts by serving the church. Verse 14 here says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So this, We need to use our spiritual gifts by serving the church. God has given you a spiritual gift, Christian. And we need to utilize that gift in the service of the church. And our youth need to see you do that. And we need to encourage our youth to use their gifts. Now, they're developing their gifts right now that the Holy Spirit's given. They can do things. They can serve. They do wonderful. And I want to commend all you youth here. You do an awesome job in serving. Serving the church. 
and I see God working in you and developing the gifts and abilities that he's given you. Wonderful to see many of you here playing the uh, cello, different instruments, violin, piano. Uh, love to see that. I want to encourage that. Thank you, Hector, and all those who are participate and help and encourage on Tuesday nights our youth to play. Uh, just wonderful, wonderful. Uh, even if we have, I've heard Keith Baker say, hey, if you have a, a teen that's really interested in audio video, he would love to talk to you and get you back there doing video. Okay? Um, different things. So let's use our spiritual gifts. Well, so those are some things right there that I think that we get here. And it's basically, what are we doing? It's just be, being the church. That's all I'm asking. That's what, a, that's what a church-wide youth ministry is. That we're being the church. We recognize that we're family members. That we're concerned about each other. We want to see the spiritual progress in each other's lives. We're not about consumer. We don't have this consumer mentality where we come to get this product, throw our dues, and then head on out. No, we're about each other. And if you're not like that right now, I encourage you to think about that and consider. Change your mindset, because it's a wrong mindset to have. You need to be about the family business, proclaiming the gospel. We need to, uh, we need to combat false teaching, false practice. We need to be, uh, make godliness a priority. We need to be the example that others can follow. We need to be devoted to God's word. We need to use our spiritual gifts. So I'm basically saying we, just, we need to be the church. That is a church-wide youth ministry. That's a church I want my children to grow up in. And may God use Fellowship Bible Church to send these kids out into the harvest field to impact lives for Christ, to be a solace to other churches, that's what I want. I, 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 want to see, I want to see young men here grow up to be pastors. I know not all of you will be. That's fine. I want to see young men and women go into the mission fields and give their life for Christ. I, I, want, to see, I, I want to see our young people recognize that, that I'm about the family business and my occupation is not the end goal of my life. But my occupation is a means to proclaim the gospel in an appropriate fashion. That's what I want to see happen in our teens' lives here. And I hope you do as well. And may it be so. May it be so. God used Fellowship Bible Church in that way. So how can you do some? I just laid a few things down. There's many others. Um, this isn't a complete list by any stretch of the imagination. Pray for your team. Pray for our teens. All right? Pray for our teens. There's some things there to pray for. There's many other things to pray for. You can consider serving in one of our youth ministries. Okay? Talk to me. If you'd like to just help out... In any way. Um, love to talk to you about that. Doesn't mean you will, but love to talk to you about it. You can make it a point to get to know some of our youth. Whoa. <laughs> Be careful there. Okay? Uh, do you know that our teens are more scared of you than you are of them? It's true. Let me help you out. This is, this is a challenge. You know how, here's how, this is how I start all of conversations. Hello. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, it goes from there. Um, uh, butt into uh, their groups. You see them hanging out there. They're just in the way all the time in the foyer, making noise. Okay, instead of, instead of just simply doing the shush or be quiet or get out of the way, go in there, butt in. And get into their conversations. Hey, what's going on? Talk to them. That's what I do, but that's just me. 
Get to know them. Ask them questions about their life. Share, share with them some things about how the Lord's uh, working in your life once you kind of develop a relationship with them. Uh, uh, talk, to, talk to their mom and dad and ask them how you might be able to pray for their teen. Ask, talk to the mom and dad. Ask them how you could pray for them in relation to their teen in general, how they're, how they're dealing with them. Uh, that would be a huge, huge help. Uh, you can give towards some of the youth events. We have families that have like 100 kids in the youth group right now. <laughs> Give or take a hundred. Um, and it's expensive sometimes. We go on trips, you know, retreats, uh, IFCA Youth Convention, those kinds of things. And it costs a lot of money. If you have the means and you have an interest in it, well, give to some of those events so to help out some, some families so that their kids can participate in these things. That would be a huge help. You don't have to, but this is a thought. Uh, number five, you can give a teen an encouraging word. It means you'd have to talk to them. You can give a teen an encouraging word. I, want you, I just want to remind you or let you know that uh, that's how God totally redirected my life. An older man um, that I respected came up to me and just said one sentence. I think you should do this for the rest of your life. Whatever it was. And my wife would tell you, I don't cry. But I was just an absolute blubbering fool after he said that phrase. It just gripped my heart. God used it in a special way and just totally redirected my life. You can have the same impact on the, on the youth in our church. So this is what I'd like to do real quick before we, before we dismiss. I'm three minutes over right now. I'm sorry. Um, I would like for, I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I know it's embarrassing. I know you don't like to be pointed out, but I'd like all the teens to stand, all the youth, 12 years old to 18 years old. That's kind of what I'm focusing on right now. I know, Sophia, stand up. Oh, with Andy, she's right beside you. Here, go ahead and stand up. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, okay. So, I mean, praise the Lord. All right. Okay, this is, this is what I would like for you to do. Oftentimes, they are, um, they always, they probably always sit in the same place. Creatures of habit, right? I want you, those who are around, I, I would like you to consider just picking out one of these teens and uh, making it your mission to pray for them either for the next couple of months or for the whole year. And uh, I would encourage you to get to know them. It's funny, isn't it? Because like, you have people around you that you sit next to all the time you never talk to. You know, we, should, we should try to talk to them too. Um, and, and just remember, those who are sitting beside those people, they forgot your name. So don't feel offended when they ask your name again, okay? Uh, so, so pray for them. Pick one out. Uh, pray for them. Get to know them. Talk to them. Ask them questions about themselves. All right? That would be wonderful. So this is what I want to do. I just want to pray for you guys standing right now. And then when I'm finished praying, we're all going to stand together. And then I'll close this in a word of prayer. And then we'll be dismissed to go home and eat. All right? Let's pray. So, Father, uh, I thank you so much for these young men and women that are here. And uh, I, I can't wait to see what you're going to do in their lives. I pray, Lord, that you would cause them to love your word, hunger after your word, that you would cause them to desire to grow in holiness, to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would use them presently because they are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. 
We need them. We need them a part of our church now. And I thank you for using them to build the church, to grow it in holiness, unity, and love. I pray, Lord, that you might, if at your will, send some of these young men to become pastors of churches. That you would send some of these young men and women out onto the missions field uh, to, to give their life for the gospel's sake and sharing it, planting churches, those kind of things. And so, Lord, please work. And pray for all of them that they would, they would take their faith with them to use whatever occupation you plant them in uh, for your glory and for the business of the family, the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's be closed in a word of prayer. So, Lord, we again, we, we come and we just pray for the entirety of the church. Uh, Lord, that you would help us to become, in the way I've been describing it, a church-wide youth ministry. That we would develop a culture here that, is, uh, that recognizes that we are a family. Blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Lord, that you would help us to combat false teaching, uh, that you would help us to have a priority to godliness, uh, that you would help us uh, to be devoted to the word of God. Uh, Lord, that you would help us to use our spiritual gifts and create an environment so that our youth could grow up, love, joy, honor the Lord Jesus Christ to make him known into this world. And so we ask it that you would make it so. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.